Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast with Andy Bush. I'm Andy Bush. This is Beethoven, The Basics, the podcast. A sneaky nose around the flat of one of music's most colourful characters. Although Beethoven strikes me as the kind of guy who'd notice that he'd been in his study and snooping around because one of his porcelain penguins had been knocked away from facing due north or something like that. I'm a strong believer that Beethoven could hold his own with some of music's great rebels. Even to this present day, he's a disruptor. If he was at the Brit Awards, he'd tip an ice bucket over someone's head. He's that kind of guy. And I've always been fascinated by classical music, but scared to know where to start. And if that describes you, well, trust me, this is the perfect place to join in. Episode 8, Beethoven, the performer. Let's turn to his skills at the piano before the deafness set in. His conductor, Karen Hendrickson, with some background. Beethoven was first recognised, actually, as a pianist, not as a composer, And he was known to be a virtuoso pianist and especially a virtuosic improviser. Many, many other pianist composers who would sit down to play, they would have kind of little, oh, I wouldn't call them competitions, but kind of friendly uh, soiree performances where, you know, some of the party tricks, I mean, Mozart would do the same thing where he'd be given a theme and then be asked to improvise. and, And Beethoven apparently was just phenomenal at not just improvising kind of just at the drop of a hat, but also of reading orchestral scores at the piano and and playing them fluently. I love this. You can only imagine what an exhilarating sight it must have been to see Beethoven improvise. Hunch over a cowering little piano, elbows poking out, like Donkey Kong in Mario Kart. Sometimes Beethoven's skills of improvisation, or perhaps his inability to meet a deadline, many had to push his powers to the limit during a premiere. Pianist Stephen Huff gives us some context. What we think of today as going to rehearse with an orchestra, printed scores, printed parts, a piece that everyone knows, uh, that was not how music was played at those times. And sometimes, of course, and this is an extreme example, the ink was wet on the page even during the rehearsals. Imagine for a second how stressful that must have been getting a bus, horse and cart, whatever, to the concert venue with the music in your bag and you know deep down that you haven't actually finished writing it yet. It's like one of those recurring school nightmares. No, not the naked one, the one where you haven't revised for an exam. Right, let me take you back to the 5th of April, 1803. Beethoven was the soloist at the premiere of his piano concerto number three. He asked composer and conductor Ignaz von Siegfried to turn the pages for him and Seafried was horrified when, sat next to the piano, he realised the sheets were largely blank. This would be like if you went to a work colleague's drawer to borrow their calculator, and you opened it to find, like, hundreds of stolen sauce sachets from fast food restaurants. You kind of think to yourself, this person is clearly out of control. Beethoven was playing most of his solo piano part from memory, as he'd run out of time to write all of his ideas down onto the paper. I don't know about you, but I regularly go into a room in the house and can't remember why I went in there in the first place. So the concept of playing from memory alone is beyond my comprehension. This was not unusual for Beethoven, and apparently he joked about it at dinner afterwards, when most normal people would probably be rocking back and forth in a corner.
That's Beethoven, Piano Concerto Number 3, the third movement. You're listening to Scala Radio, I'm Andy Bush, and it's great to have your company today for Beethoven The Basics, getting to know this musical enigma a little better in this, the 250th anniversary of his birth. So it was common for Beethoven to play pieces from memory at their premieres. Surely this skill was due in part to his powers of improvisation. Cellist Matthew Barley explains how important improv was in Beethoven's day. It was thought that the only way you could really measure a musician's worth was through his improvising. There are many accounts, happily, of Beethoven improvising, and and, uh, it seems to have been an extraordinary experience. He would often improvise for half an hour, an hour, two, three hours sometimes, marathons, and the audience would be absolutely mesmerised. There's one account by Carl Cherney that describes an audience in turn on the edge of their seats, laughing, crying, gasping, Um, And it seems he really took an audience along with him emotionally. And Beethoven took no prisoners in the world of musical duels, especially in the case of Daniel Stuybelt. Think of this as a hip-hop rap battle, and there was definitely a mic drop from Ludwig. Clarinetist Julian Bliss fills us in. In 1800, a very fine piano player called Daniel Stuybelt challenged Beethoven to an improvisation duel. Stuybelt went first. Throwing his sheet music to one side, he played very well and received amazing applause from the audience. But then it was Beethoven's turn. Beethoven picked up the piece that Stuybelt had thrown down, placed it on the piano upside down, and then improvised based on the theme from the upside down piece of music. Not very happy with this, Stuybelt somewhat threw his toys out of the pram left the room and vowed to never come back to Vienna again as long as Beethoven lived there. Love this. The drama. I can almost imagine Beethoven doing a ring walk like in a boxing match with loud music, lasers and dry ice. Conductor Jonathan Hayward gives us his version of events. And the story goes something about Stuybelt starts and he's infamously known Stuybelt for like playing really, really kind of hardcore you know, this storm and drum of, of, of piano, really kind of storm and thunder of piano playing. And so he's really well known for this. But Beethoven then goes up and uh, doing this kind of improv battle, if you will, in, this, in the salon and basically turns the pages upside down of what he was improvising, what Stuybert was improvising on, and mocks him with the most amazing improvisational skills and variations that we know Beethoven for today. And kind of Stuyvelt then leaves the salon with his tail in between his legs, I mean, never to come back to Vienna, is so the story goes. Essentially, he had Stuybelt on toast. So we've covered some of the big premieres that have gone down in musical history and how he was the Hulk Hogan of the piano when it came to musical duels. Seeing as it's Beethoven's 250th anniversary this year, we know his music has the power to endure over the centuries, but it's fascinating to find out how it was initially received. Were all his big works the equivalent of Brian Adams or Wet 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 having a number one hit single for months? Or a chart flop like when Victoria Beckham did that song with Dane Bowers? Do you remember that? We'll hear from one of his instant hits, but one that's not played too much today. If 3D superwoofer sound systems were a thing back in the 1800s, this is what would be playing at full volume if a carriage pulled up alongside you at the traffic lights, bear with me, and its windows were rolled down. 
It's early 1813 and Beethoven isn't composing a huge amount because he's looking after his brother Caspar. Not the father to his nephew Karl, the other one. However, by summertime, Ludwig's creative juices were flowing because he's heard news about the Duke of Wellington's victory at the Battle of Vittoria in Spain. His friend asked him to write something to commemorate the battle and he threw everything at it. Bells, whistles, kitchen sink, the lot. Here's Scala Radio's Jack Pepper with more. Beethoven's Wellington Symphony is sort of the equivalent of doing a lap of honour after winning a football match. You know, it's, it's somebody beating their chest saying, we won! It was written in 1813 after a big victory for the Duke of Wellington. Europe was torn apart by war and there was this big victory that Beethoven, along with many other musicians, poets and writers, would commemorate through their art. For Beethoven, it was very loud, it was very brash. I mean, there's a percussion section that includes muskets, so you have actual gunfire included in the music to uh, portray that battle, if we can't imagine it enough, with the big brass section roaring away. And it was tremendously successful for Beethoven. It earned him quite a bit of money, actually. Uh, It was a crowd-pleaser, that's for sure. It's noisy and it's topical, Um, The audiences of the time would have heard the battles going on around them in the music that they were listening to that day. That was an instant hit from its first performance in Vienna on the 8th of December 1813 at a concert to benefit soldiers wounded at the Battle of Hanau. Beethoven was the conductor and we'll turn to his baton skills next on Scala Radio after we enjoy another one of the works premiered at this concert, his Symphony No. 7. The symphony premiered on the 8th of December 1813. Julian Bliss tells us how it went down with the audience. Audience members liked it, and in the premiere, they demanded that the allegretto be repeated immediately. The last movement is one of the rare times that Beethoven used three fortes. He wanted it loud. This particular movement can be pretty difficult for the orchestra too, depending on what speed the conductor decides to go at. Now, not everybody liked the piece though. The very outspoken conductor, Thomas Beecham, said the third movement sounded like a load of yaks jumping around. Take from that what you will. Anyone else trying to picture in their head what the noise of a load of yaks jumping is like? Also, bonus point, if you know what the collective noun for a group of yaks is, shout it out loud at the radio. I don't care if you're in public, shout it. It's a herd. Strangely underwhelming, I agree. So, Beethoven was the conductor at this concert. We heard about his insanely amazing piano playing and improvisational skills in the first hour. Was he a similarly brilliant conductor? Karen Hendrickson, assistant conductor at the Royal Northern Sinfonia, lets us down gently. Even aside from his hearing, the reports of Beethoven's conducting include words such as idiosyncratic, unclear, 
There's a letter somewhere that a line of it, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, says something like, our master could not be presented as a model in respect to conducting. You know, this, this idea that he, he, he just couldn't quite get his body around kind of delivering the message, you know, in, in time and eloquently to the orchestra. And I think in that same letter, it goes on to say, during a diminuendo, he would begin to, to kind of crouch and get lower and lower so that when a pianissimo came, he was practically crouching at the height of the desk or of the stand at which he would, the score would be on. And then if there was a crescendo, he'd start rising up and rise onto the tips of his toes and throw his arms above his head. And so in terms of feeling the inspired uh, essence of his music, there's absolutely no doubt that he did that. But as far as, you know, communicating it through gesture to the orchestra, it seems that he really struggled. Composer and critic Louis Spohr was at the concert and described Beethoven as waving his arms about with great vehemence asunder and jumping about in the air during the loud bits. Good lad. In all the musicians I've interviewed over the years, a lot of the ill behaviour and scary reputation stems from them, I think, not being totally at ease with themselves. One minute they're crafting music in their bedrooms and then suddenly they're up on stage, the property of the public, and nothing will ever be the same again. And I think that does different things to different people. Happy Monday's frontman Sean Ryder has told me on a number of occasions that all the drugs, alcohol and chaos that defined the early part of his career was down to the fact that he was just shy and couldn't deal with being stood up there in front of everyone. I feel that we kind of get the same thing with Beethoven. His conductor, Jonathan Hayward. One thing that... I think is really apparent is this idea of kind of the misunderstood artist, which I think there are a lot of rock star artists that are just misunderstood. You know, first person that really kind of comes up to my mind is Freddie Mercury. I just watched the fantastic movie about his life. And you kind of just look at these artists and you think, God, you're just really misunderstood. And this is where kind of the anger comes from you know this this bad behavior you know i i don't know you know of course he's he's kind of portrayed as this angry person and maybe he was i'm sure he probably had that but why 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 does he have this and and i think it's for me it's it is this misunderstood quality that so many rock stars completely had but they use their music in order to kind of get through these misunderstood times So it seems that even back in the 1800s, fame can do the same things to people that it does in the present day. Here's Mark Elder, music director of the Halley Orchestra. I think it seems clear that throughout his life, as Beethoven became more and more famous, and he did become incredibly famous, his relationship to his fellow human beings did not become easier. He had a famous temper and he had a famous ability to be extremely cantankerous. And the stories are legendary about how he threw people out of his apartment and all that sort of thing. But as his life went by, even before his deafness, I have the feeling that he needed to battle. He needed to find the way, because it was only by doing that that he would produce works that he would be satisfied with, let alone whether anyone else would be. Ludwig was such a fascinating bloke. Thanks to Mark Elder for providing insight into the composer's character. And you know what? Thank you to all the other musicians who contributed to this episode. Karen Hendrickson, Jonathan Hayward, Stephen Huff, Matthew Barley, Julian Bliss, and Scala Radio's very own hunk, Jack Pepper. 
Thanks also to Signum Classics for providing the recording of Beethoven's Piano Concerto No. 3 that was performed by Elizabeth Sombart and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And the clip of his seventh symphony was performed by the Britain Symphonia. A big thank you to the London Philharmonic Orchestra for the other musical extracts. Find out more about all of their recordings and projects at lpo.org.uk. And as ever, thanks to you for downloading Beethoven The Basics with me, Andy Bush. And if you fancy spreading the word about these podcasts, and I don't want to steer you in any particular direction, but I would consider us close personal friends if you gave us five stars. Hey, but that's your choice. It'd be hugely appreciated. But again, make your own decision. But it'd be nice to be friends. Anyway, make your own decision. And also, if you fancy dipping your toes further into the classical waters, check out Scala Radio. From Simon Mayo to Angelica Bell, from Mark Kermo to Alexis French. In episode 9, we'll turn to a subject we've already touched on a little bit, Beethoven's health and how it affected his personality and his music. Until the next one, I will see you then. Scala Radio presents Beethoven, The Basics. The podcast with Andy Bush.